Hi, everyone. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to hop in here with a quick trigger warning. This week's topic includes themes of suicide, addiction, and violence. As a result, today's episode may not be suitable for all audiences, and listeners' discretion is advised. Thank you in advance for your understanding, and without further ado, let's get into today's episode. stories have a habit of presenting themselves when we least expect them. As a matter of fact, I would be willing to wager that the reason many of us find these tales to be so intriguing is the fact that they tend to crop up in the most ordinary places. For example, there's a post office in Chicago that is said to be haunted by the victims of none other than H.H. Holmes. I know, at surface level, that claim really comes out of left field, but trust me when I say that it is fairly legitimate. As it turns out, the building formerly operated as a hotel, which was owned by Holmes himself. The hotel, that today is disparagingly remembered as Chicago's murder castle, was used as a front for Holmes to lure his victims into his clutches. We will discuss that haunt in a future episode, but it just goes to show that even the most mundane buildings could have a ghost story to tell. And this concept is also true on much larger scales. In fact, there are whole neighborhoods, and entire cities for that matter, that are said to be haunted. Take the city of New Orleans, for instance. New Orleans, with its rich, while sometimes unpleasant history, is widely considered one of the most haunted places in the United States. And speaking from personal experience, it's hard to walk very far down any street in the Big Easy without passing one of the city's various haunts. Truthfully, ghostly legends are so ingrained into New Orleanian lore that nods to these tales are apparent in everything from their houses of worship to the food that they eat. And for one restaurant in the French Quarter, this haunted history is held in a very high regard. I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. As I'm sure many of you are aware, it is not common for supposedly haunted places of business to openly promote their resident spirits, with the argument being that the claims of the paranormal would surely have a negative effect on business, all too often the owners of allegedly haunted franchises try to keep these sort of rumors under wraps. Employees are often asked not to openly discuss paranormal encounters that occur at their place of work and marketing efforts are made to deflect attention away from any unsavory occurrences in the establishment's past, all in an effort to attract more customers and business. So it comes as a bit of a surprise that Muriel's Jackson Square has taken the opposite approach. The restaurant, which opened its doors in March of 2001, has a page on its website dedicated to the spirits said to haunt the establishment. Restaurant employees and patrons alike openly report experiences with the spirits. And to add a fun twist on these spooky vibes, diners can even reserve Muriel's renowned seance lounge to imbibe in after-dinner cocktails. The owners even leave a table set aside for the spirit of one of the previous owners as an homage to his presence in the building. Truly, Muriel's is a paranormal enthusiast's playground, and I for one have added the lounge to my list of haunted locations to explore. So by now, I bet you're wondering, 
Why is Muriel's Jackson Square alleged to be so haunted? And is there any truth to the claim? Well, fortunately for us, the current owners have kept an extensive history of the building, along with detailed accounts of their residing ghosts. Which means that we may just be able to make this determination for ourselves. If you're up for the challenge, that is. Allow me for a moment to take you back to the year 1721. It's August, and the fledgling colonial city of New Orleans is bustling under the summer sun. This summer had been a particularly busy one for the colonists living in New Orleans, due to the city's recent addition of Jackson Square. The square, which today is revered as one of the city's most recognizable landmarks, was Colonial New Orleans' hub for commerce and trade. This, of course, is due to its proximity to the city's port on the Mississippi River. As time went on, an open market developed in the square, in addition to the governor's mansion, along with the church that is today famously known as St. Louis Cathedral. In short, in the early days of New Orleans, Jackson Square was the shining heart of the city. But this doesn't mean that there isn't some darkness in its past. For starters, the open market of Jackson Square wasn't just a place where you could buy food and other necessities. Sadly, the square was also used as an auction site for the slave trade. In fact, at one point in its history, the city of New Orleans was the largest slave market in the country, so you can imagine the gross abuse and negativity apparent in Jackson Square at the time. In later years, the square was also the site for public executions, which often targeted the enslaved population. For instance, in January of 1811, following the German Coast Uprising, three insurgents were hanged in the square, and several more were beheaded. And to add insult to injury, their heads were driven into spikes and displayed along the banks of the Mississippi. And then there is the cruel and ironic story of Louis Congo, who was enslaved in New Orleans during the time that these public executions were so flagrantly common. During the 1700s, Louis was given an impossible decision to make. He could either remain enslaved or become the city's executioner. And after he presumably wrestled with the morality of this decision, he chose the latter. So, from the time that the city was founded, all the way up until the 1760s, Louis Congo had the sole power to authorize public executions and punishments, and being there to bear witness to each and every one of his decisions was the property at 801 Chartree Street. During the early days of New Orleans, the building that now houses Muriel's Jackson Square was laying the foundation of its own rich history. The building itself initially functioned as a private residence, with the original structure of the home dating all the way back to 1718. Claude Trepanier, a member of the expedition party that founded the city, was granted a plot of land for his efforts throughout the journey. And if I do say so myself, it was somewhat of a lucky break for Trepanier. As it turned out, this plot of land was at the heart of what would eventually be Jackson Square. And during that first year in New Orleans, 
Trepanier built a small cottage on the land. And by the year 1721, likely due to its prime location, his humble property grew exponentially in value and purpose, though some of its uses were more nefarious than others. Apparently, for a time at least, the property was used as a staging area for slaves who were destined for auction. And if the claims are true, a few of these poor persecuted souls still wander the grounds. In fact, according to several clairvoyants who have visited murials over the years, numerous troubled spirits occupy the area, particularly around the restaurant's carriageway. Now, it is true that the carriageway dates back to the late 1700s, decades after the property was allegedly used for this purpose. But even so, given the city's history, along with its affinity for metaphysical philosophy and the divinatory arts, well, it's hard not to wonder if there is any truth to these claims. As time went on and the functionality of the property became more apparent, the monetary value of Trepanier's gifted plot of land grew, and before long, the residents caught the eye of several key personas of New Orleans history. It was 1743 when Jean-Baptiste Destrian purchased the property. Destrian was the royal treasurer of the French Louisiana colonies, and needless to say, he and his family led a rather affluent lifestyle which is exactly why he took the liberty of renovating the small cottage into a lavish home. The original cottage, modestly constructed from brick with shiplap siding and a bark-shingled roof, was transformed into a five-bedroom home, complete with a ballroom, music room, and a coach house that included its own kitchen. Upon its completion, the residence was furnished with the finest linens, drapes, china, and crystal. Yet, in spite of these luxe furnishings, the residence at 801 Chartreuse Street suffered its fair share of misfortune over the years. It was March 1788, just days before the Easter holiday, and the city of New Orleans was buzzing in anticipation. Given that it was Good Friday, the square was crowded as churchgoers gathered to attend Mass. By all accounts, it was a lovely spring morning, though by that afternoon, tragedy would befall onto the city. At approximately 1.30 p.m., a fire broke out at 619 Chartreuse Street. Over the course of the next five hours, the blaze would engulf the vast majority of the city, and there wasn't much that could be done to stop it. Apparently, there had been a strong wind from the southeast that fed the already roaring flames. To make matters worse, the bells at St. Louis Church would have ordinarily been used as an alarm system. But since this was a holy day in the eyes of the church, the clergy forbade them from being used. Combined, these two factors paved the way for one of the most devastating disasters in New Orleans history. The fire destroyed nearly every building in the city, including the church, municipal building, army barracks, 
armory, and jail. And though there was only one fatality, the populace was still left virtually homeless while they struggled to rebuild. Among the rubble was a sizable portion of 801 Chartreuse Street. Due to the vast amount of damage, renovations would have been quite costly, which is likely the reason why Pierre Marigny, who owned the residence at the time, opted to cut his losses and sell the property as is. Enter Mr. Pierre-Antoine Lepardi Jordan, who purchased the home from Marigny in 1789. And immediately upon his purchase, he set to work rebuilding the domicile's burnt remains into the home that he had always dreamed of. Tirelessly, Jordan worked to restore the building to its original grandeur, and by the time that it was complete, the home was his most treasured possession. By all accounts, the life he and his family led there was joyful and prosperous, though this happy time was cut tragically short. In 1814, Jordan was trying his luck in a hand of poker. Now, this was not an uncommon occurrence for Jordan. In fact, he was known around the French Quarter to have somewhat of a gambling addiction. And, well, surely you can see where this is going. On the evening in question, Jordan was playing poker with his regular group, when at some point along the way, he ran out of cash to wager and instead of calling it quits for the night, he decides to continue with one more game, betting his beloved home as collateral. As it were, the fates were not on his side that night, and heartbreakingly, Jordan lost the hand and his adored home in the process. As a result, he and his family were to vacate the premises as soon as possible, which would have been a sickening blow to anybody. And, to make matters worse, as he sat heavy-hearted at the poker table, his family had no idea of the mistake he had made. Now, the weight of these circumstances sat heavy on Mr. Jordan's shoulders, and upon returning to the property, he found it difficult to admit that he had squandered everything away over a simple card game. The house as it stood was the product of his own blood, sweat, and tears, and it was hard for him to picture anyone else living within its walls. As it would appear, he felt that a life lived somewhere else was not a life worth living at all. After all, it was his house, and it had always been his intention to live there until the day he died, and though he would prefer that this came by natural causes, he would see to it that these intentions came to pass. So, in lieu of packing up his family, and vacating the property as he had agreed, he climbed up to a second-floor bedroom, where he would remain forevermore. Today, the owners of Muriel's Jackson Square report that Mr. Jordan still resides in his beloved home, apparently spending his afterlife roaming the halls of the now restaurant as a ghost. According to the claims made on the restaurant's website, which I will have linked in this episode's show notes on the Haunt's website, it is Mr. Pierre Jordan who haunts the Seance Lounge, which is said to be the most paranormally active room in the building. This is likely due to the fact that it was here that Jordan took his own life 
on that fateful night in 1814. Nowadays, Jordan has traded poker nights for evenings conversing with the patrons of Muriel's Jackson Square. Apparently, he has the propensity to move objects about the lounge in order to make his presence known. Further, he sometimes even appears to patrons who choose to visit the lounge. He is often described by those who are lucky enough to encounter him as a glimmering orb, making him the literal shining light of Muriel's history. Now, Pierre Jordan is claimed as the resident spirit of Muriel's Jackson Square. However, he is not the only spirit said to haunt the establishment. Their courtyard bar, for instance, is said to be haunted by a more mischievous entity. In fact, on three separate occasions since Muriel's first opened, employees have witnessed glassware being torn from the bar and thrown approximately 12 feet before shattering against the brick wall on the far side of the room. Now, it is their theory that this more angsty spirit is the ghost of a servant who used to live and work at the property. According to their own historical record, the carriage house that Destrian built in the 1740s functioned somewhat as a servant's quarters. This fact, at least in my opinion, lends some legitimacy to the idea. Though, others theorize that this spirit is one of the previous owners who lived at the residence after Pierre Jordan. Others believe that this spirit may even be Jordan himself, throwing glasses in an attempt to interact with the world of the living. Along with these two spirits, restaurant employees and patrons alike report hearing the disembodied voice of a woman on the second floor of the building, as well as the sounds of rapping coming from the walls of the seance lounge. Another common report is that of shadow people lurking about the restaurant, along with unknown voices emanating from otherwise quiet places. While these claims are a bit unsettling in nature, the owners of the restaurant assure that the spirits haunting the establishment are friendly, harmless, and often very entertaining. If they truly exist, that is. Because for many, the claims made about Muriel's Jackson Square are more of a hoax than they are a haunt. By now, you've heard the story of Muriel's Jackson Square. You know its history, and you likely have an understanding as to why the location is claimed as one of the most haunted buildings in the French Quarter. But before we end today's episode, and I let you mull over the reports made about the restaurant, there are a few holes to this story that may be worth considering. For one, there is no historical record that the original property was used as a holding area for slaves set for auction. Now, you could argue that there's no historical evidence to indicate otherwise. However, it is worth noting that, in most cases, the enslaved were historically kept in appalling conditions on boats as they awaited their turn at auction. On the other hand, the property is a mere stone's throw away from the port where these boats would have been docked, so it is possible that there's some truth to those claims. Regardless, these discrepancies make the accounts of clairvoyants who state that the carriageway is haunted by these spirits a bit harder to swallow. And for the record, I would prefer to think that these claims are illegitimate and that these tormented souls have found peace in their afterlife. 
Another point that is worth noting is a claim about Pierre Jordan himself. Apparently, at least according to one source, Pierre Anton Lepardi Jordan, who is cited as the resident spirit on the Muriel's Jackson Square website, allegedly never owned the property, and that the current owners had mistaken the individual with a different Pierre Jordan. Now this claim is at least remotely possible, but I'm not going to lie to you. I find this argument to be a bit of a stretch at best. After all, the reports cited on their website were made after what seems to be painstakingly detailed research into the property's history. And for that matter, the current owners likely received some information about the building's previous owners at the time of their purchase. So it's hard for me to believe that they would misidentify one of the names on that list. But let's say for a moment that this claim is true. That the Pierre Jordan identified by the current owners, in fact, did not own the residence, and that it was a different Jordan instead. This does not mean that the claims of paranormal activity are false. At best, the haunts could also be attributed to that owner. Likewise, given the building's rich history, it wouldn't come as a surprise if several of the previous owners chose to spend their afterlife in the home. But I will digress, and turn the debate over to you instead. Could it be that these ghostly stories are nothing more than a bit of local lore? Or perhaps even a marketing ploy for the restaurant itself? Or, given the somewhat dark history of Jackson Square, does it seem more likely that these haunts are the result of the building's circumstances? Well, I will let you make that call for yourself. This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could give it a follow or leave a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show really helps us reach more listeners each week. Also, if you are interested in learning more about today's topic, I highly suggest checking out the show notes section on the Haunts website at hauntscast.com. This is where I link all of my sources and share any visual content that may be referenced during the show. Finally, if you would like to receive sneak peeks or updates about the show, make sure to sign up for our email list on the Haunts website or follow us on social media at HauntsCast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, happy haunting.